0: And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Well, I love that text you just heard uh, read about Elijah. Now, Elijah was a man who knew how to pray. And uh, on this particular occasion, Elijah gets down, and you just heard about how he got down on his knees And he prayed to God for rain, and he sent his servant expecting to see some result from the prayer. And, of course, the servant goes, and guess what he sees? Nothing. You guys just heard it, right? (laughs) You could say something. All right? He he saw nothing. And and the reason why I love this passage is because there have been so many times in my life when I have prayed to God for something, and then I went and looked to see if the answer was coming, and guess what I saw? Nothing. Have, Have any of you ever experienced this? Let's see a show of hands. You can do that, right? We're COVID safe. Okay. Show of hands. Okay. That was about half of you. The other half either have never prayed or you're lying in church. <laughs> Ka-ka! That's the lightning bolt. We pray and we look in expectation to see what God is going to do. And sometimes it looks like God is not at work. So today um, I want to begin by asking you this question. What do you see? What do you see when you look around yourself? What do you see when you look around the world? Uh, My wife and I, uh, Jessica, my wife, was just up here hosting. Uh, We have four children. Our oldest is just starting university. Our second is in high school, and we have two kids in grade school. September's been a little wild. And some of you with kids know what I'm talking about. It's been uncertain. Everything's changing. Schools are all starting at different times, all different policies. Everyone's trying to figure this thing out. And there's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people, anxiety, stress, all of that. What do you see when you look around yourself? You turn on the news and you see what's happening politically... South of the border, it's getting a little heated, right? There's an election coming, and it's going to affect us either way. Here in Canada, there may be an election looming, so there's all this political uncertainty. That's what I see when I turn on the news. Uh, when you look out at society, there, there's riots, there's all kinds of things going on, demonstrations. You look at the economy, right? Uh, the economy is down, but the stock market is up. Make sense of that? Everything's going all over the place. Nobody knows what's coming next. That's what I see. What do you see? I don't know what your personal situation looks like. Maybe some of you have lost work or reduced income. Others, maybe you're doing fine, but maybe financially, maybe in your, your family, your marriage, your kids, uh, whatever, your health. What do you see? What do you see when you look around you? Today, I wanted to take this opportunity to encourage you and to remind you that in spite of what you see, God is still in control. And don't we need to be reminded of that? That in spite of what we see, he's still sitting on his throne. He hasn't fallen off, okay? So he hasn't fallen off his throne. He is still in charge. He is still at work. And best of all, um, the story isn't finished. That's the best thing about reading a story, right? In the middle of the story, it's like, oh no, everything looks so bad. But you got to keep reading to get to the end of the story. And the story is not finished for you, and it's not finished for me, and it's not finished for, for us. So today, I want to remind you that God is still at work. I want to encourage you today... To look again. And now we're using this little phrase today, uh, that, that simply says this. If it looks like there's no hope, look again. Can we say that together very softly? If it looks like there's no hope, look again. We need to be reminded that, that we don't live by what we see. We have a hope that's founded in something greater uh, today i want to encourage you to look again i want to encourage you to look from a different perspective to look from a different angle to look through the eyes of god through the eyes of faith at what's going on around us in fact in second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 paul and his uh, associates actually write to a church nearly 2,000 years ago and here's what he says for we walk by faith we walk by faith and not by sight there it is we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, Paul says, Look, if I was looking at what's going on in Rome, if I was looking at what's going on in Macedonia and Corinth, there was all kinds of political things going on. Uh, people were hunting Paul down, trying to kill him. He was constantly being arrested and beaten. And he's like, If I was to look at that, I would get very discouraged and disheartened. But we don't walk by sight. We don't, I don't, I, my hope isn't based on what I'm seeing around me. My hope is based on what I see through the eyes of faith. And Paul knew God was at work, that God was doing something through him and through the church. And so he was confident. And so I want to encourage you today to look again. Maybe you could, if you're here with somebody or if you're watching online uh, with a family member or friend, why don't you just turn to them and say, what you see isn't everything. Right? And maybe you could encourage one another to say, hey, maybe you should look again. Maybe you should look again. How many of you have heard the expression, uh, can't see the forest for the trees? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. It's this old expression that I I constantly hear around and it really means that when you're so caught up looking at a specific detail or a specific thing, you miss the big picture. Okay, that's what it means. So you can imagine if I were standing in front of a giant tree, all I would see is bark. All I would see is this tree and I wouldn't be able to see the entire forest surrounding me. That's what we're talking about. Not being able to see the big picture for something that is right in front of you. Isn't that why we come to church? We open up the Bible... And what we discover when we read this book is that God has been at work for thousands of years of human history and we see Him weaving a plan and we're a part of it. Like, here's me and here's God's plan. And so when I look out at the world around me, I'm not going, how does this affect me and how do I fit and how does the me, 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 me. I'm going, wow, there's this huge plan and I have a part and God can be trusted. That's a different perspective. We open the Bible so that we can look at the forest instead of the trees that are right in front of our eyes. When I was a kid, one of my favorite movies was a movie called Karate Kid. Anybody seen that? I mean, the original movie is is the one. I mean, they did a remake. It's pretty good. But the original. There's this teenage boy named Daniel. And uh, Daniel's son. And Daniel, uh, he's getting beat up. He's getting bullied. And so then what he does is he actually goes to, um, he finds this karate master. And his name is Mr. Miyagi. And some, I think a lot of you have probably seen it. And, and Mr. Miyagi's going to teach him karate. And so here's what happens. He tells uh, Daniel to get down on the deck with these sanding blocks, and he's sanding the decks. And for days, for weeks, all he's doing is sanding, sanding, sanding. And the whole time he's probably thinking, what does this have to do with karate? He's sanding, sanding. He finally finishes the deck. Good for him. And he's expecting now to learn karate. What does Mr. Miyagi do? Gives him paint brushes. You're going to paint the fence. Paint the fence. And, and after weeks and weeks of manual labor, after weeks of sanding and painting, there's this moment, which is the key moment in the movie, when Daniel's son turns to Mr. Miyagi, and he says, I'm sick of this, I'm out of here, you haven't taught me a thing, and Mr. Miyagi's like, "Hey," He says, I'm going to throw a punch, sand the deck, and he throws the punch, and Daniel, you know, sands the deck and blocks the punch, and there's this moment where his eyes are open, like he gets this aha moment where he realizes all the way along Mr. Miyagi was teaching him karate. So if you haven't seen the movie, I just ruined it for you, okay? There's this light bulb moment where it's like, oh, all of that hard work, all that suffering, all the pain, all the the calluses on my knees, all of it was building towards something that is good. I've had moments like this in my life when I was 22 years old, came out of Bible college and I was ready to tackle the world. Man, I was going to preach up a storm across the continent, you know, worldwide evangelist ministry or something. I just, I had these big visions of pastoring a church and doing all this stuff and instead God had me in a factory and there I am in a factory building windows and the whole time I'm assembling windows, I'm like, God, I don't think it's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then they moved me in the office and started teaching me bookkeeping I'm like, I'm supposed to be preaching, not bookkeeping. What is this all about? And then they move me into sales, and I'm sitting there going, God, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm supposed to be a salesman. I'm supposed to be a pastor, and I'm, you know, I'm doing it for 10 years. And then there's this moment when God called my wife and I to start this church, where like the light bulb went on. and I was like, You meagreed me. You did that. Like it was like all the things that I needed to learn that I didn't know He was teaching me through the things that I was experiencing. The reason why I tell you this is because I truly believe in spite of what's going on in your life and world right now, many of us, 10 years from now, will look back at 2020 and I know right now we'd like to just kind of scrap it and say 2020 didn't happen. But 10 years from now, many people in this room will look at 2020 and be like, you me argued me. Like you were doing stuff, and you know, things that happened to me, things that I was going through during this time that seems you were using it and preparing me for my destiny. I believe that. Because God is at work, even when we don't see Him at work. We need to look again. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to look at our text in 1 Kings. And to give you a little bit of context, um, back in April, I preached a, a, a series of messages called Times Like These. Maybe some of you remember that. And we saw this prophet, who was a nobody, show up, and he approaches the king of the northern part of Israel. His name is Ahab. And he approaches King Ahab, and he says, There will be no rain in the land unless I say so. Accept it, my word. And then he disappears. And we saw over three weeks how God pr- protected and provided for Elijah through difficult times. And we learned how to have faith in God through difficult times. So for three weeks, we looked at Elijah's story. So for th- over three years, Elijah is, is, is just kind of hidden away. And now we're at the end of a three-and-a-half-year famine, and God is going to speak to Elijah. That's where we pick up the story. Here's what it says in 1 Kings chapter 18, and verse 1. It says this, Go show yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain upon the earth. Now you have to understand, King Ahab, there's been a drought because of this prophet. Or at least he thought it was that way. And, and so all the animals are dying. The economy is tanked. The people have no hope. Every, everything is in recession. And God says, go to the king and tell him the rain is coming. And so Elijah goes, and we don't have time to read the entire chapter, but Elijah comes to the king and he says, here's what we're going to do. He says, you bring all of your false prophets that you've been listening to And you bring all their, they can bring all their false gods that you guys have been worshiping, and I want you to bring them all to Mount Carmel. And I'm gonna be there. And we're gonna build two altars. This is like the ultimate test. Okay? An altar to your false gods, and an altar to the God of Israel, the true God. And he's like, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put sacrifices on each of the altars, and your prophets will pray for their God or gods to light the fire, and consume the sacrifice, and I'll do the same. And we'll see whose God is really God. That's pretty nervy, don't you think? Like this could go sideways for Elijah. But Elijah continues. And so hundreds of prophets all surround. They set up the sacrifice. And the entire day, they're singing, chanting, calling down fire from heaven, cutting themselves, crying out. And guess what? Nothing happens. And then Elijah, standing by himself, says, Hey, you got any water left? I know it's been a drought for three and a half years. I know all your animals are dying. But if you got any water, let's bring it here. We're going to dump it on the sacrifice for extra effect. And then he prays. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes everything. Now, this is why this is important. In that moment, there is a turning. The king Ahab, who had been trusting in false gods, false prophets, sees that God is really God in this moment. And he actually goes, the God of Israel is the true God. All the crowds that were there watching this display went, ah, the true God is here. And the reason why I think this is so important is because, here's what I think happens. When God blesses us, and he does bless us, he gives us blessings, we have food, we have jobs, we have family, we have our health, and usually what happens is we take it for granted. And what happens over time is what I call blinded by blessing. We become blinded by blessing. We start to think after years of God blessing us that somehow all of this is what we did. Like, I worked hard and I applied myself and I did this, so that's why I'm blessed and that's why things are good. And so we take our eyes off the God who gives us these blessings and we begin to worship the things he's given us. Do you see what I'm saying? That would be a good message series, blinded by blessing. Can I walk through it? But what happened was the people of Israel were blinded by blessing and they started to worship other gods thinking that those gods were blessing them. And so what God had to do was actually stop the rain. He stopped blessing them for a season so they would clue in. And before he would send the rain and save them all, he wanted something to change. And, And here's the thing. We all want our circumstances to change, correct? But usually what has to change before our circumstances is our heart. And so, in this season, you have to ask yourself the question, God: What are you trying to change here? And then, God unlocks the rain, and the rain is going to come. This is this is powerful. Here's let's continue to read. It's 1 Kings chapter 18. We jump down to verse 41. Elijah says to Ahab. This is after all of the prophets fail. They actually kill all the false prophets. And so Elijah is now the man, and he tells the king, "Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing." Of rain. Now this is this is cool. Elijah heard the sound of rain before there were any clouds in the sky. I say, how did he do that? How did how did Elijah hear that? I I don't know. Through the eyes of faith, through the ears of faith, perhaps. Elijah knew some stuff that other people didn't know. And you know what? Throughout the scripture, here's what Amos three verse seven says. This is this is cool. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret. Everybody say, revealing his secret. Okay? Revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. In other words, God doesn't do anything in the earth until He reveals it to somebody. It's like, hey, Ron, look what I'm going to do. And you go, oh, I think God just spoke to me. And then you see it happen. It's like, whoa. God reveals His secrets to His prophets. He reveals His secrets to His children. Did you know that? I call this insider information. In the trading world, if you, get, you, know, if you knew Apple was coming out with this breakthrough product that was going to change the world tomorrow, and you knew that today, you could make a lot of money, Correct. Imagine what would happen if you had some inside information about what's going on around you. Imagine if you were to lose your job tomorrow, how much fear and angst and stress there would be for the next three weeks until you got a new job, right? You with me? But now also imagine if you lost your job tomorrow, but you already knew in advance that a better one was coming three weeks later and God was working on it. You would be like, it would be a vacation. You put your feet up and be like, hey, I'm just going to rest. All of that changes with one little piece of information. And Elijah knew this because he was a man of prayer. And Elijah spent time on his knees before God, and so God revealed things to him. And so again, I want to encourage you today and encourage us to be people of prayer. To remember that when we get down on our knees, God will speak to us and lead us. And Elijah has some insider information. Here's here's what happens next in verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. This is just a passing... I need to stop here for just a second. Mount Carmel is the place where God just sent down fire and all the prophets were destroyed and God's power was revealed. Elijah goes back to the same place, and the place where he provided fire, he's now going to give grace. The same place where he reveals his power, he's now going to reveal his provision. And sometimes we forget that there are two sides. I, I like to think of it as two sides of the coin. God is righteous, he's holy, he's just, he punishes evildoers, but he's also gracious, Kind and full of mercy, extending his love and kindness to those who trusted him. So you have both. And people, sometimes they look at God and like, angry God, waiting to strike me down. Other people, other people look at God and like, he's just a loving father flowing, rose petals and blessings everywhere and sending. And it's both. And Elijah knew this all too well. And he went to the same place. And on Mount Carmel, where God revealed his power, he's going to get down on his knees and he's going to pray for the provision of God. he bowed himself down to the earth and he put his face between his knees now this isn't some like <clears throat> wimpy prayer post i was going to actually demonstrate what this looks like to get down and put your head between your knees i've heard it's a middle eastern birthing position like it's not it's not it's not the kind of spot you go for comfort it's like it's intense like he's praying like serious like he's down And he's praying with with fervency and effort. And what I think is so interesting about this is it says he bowed himself and put his face between his knees. He's praying. Elijah is praying for the rain that God already promised he would send. Now, does that not make sense to you? Why, if God said he was sending it, and you already heard it come and told the king, go, 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 the rain's coming, why are you praying for something God's already sending? You ever wonder that? You ever think about it? I think about it, I'm like, okay, how does that make sense? Why would he pray for something that God already said he was going to send? And the answer lies in this idea that Elijah understood the relationship between God's plan and our prayers. God has a plan, and he will fulfill his plan, but he invites us into his plan through prayer. And through our prayers, we actually partner with God to bring his plan about. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, here's what he said. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he said, here, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, God's going to have his way, but I want you to pray that his way would come into the earth. So you're praying for God to do the very thing he already said he would do, and you're partnering with him in that prayer to bring it about. Elijah understood this. So he knew God was sending the rain, but he still gets down and prays fervently that the rain would come. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, actually commented on this scene that we're reading about in chapter 5 of his letter to the church, he says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Everybody say, great power. Sometimes we forget that prayer has great power. And and I think the reason why sometimes we forget is because we pray and we don't see the results right away, so we think, ah, it didn't work. Prayer has great power. And when a righteous person prays, there is great power as that prayer is working. And he continues, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He, He wasn't like a... He wasn't an angel. He wasn't some heavenly being. He wasn't Jesus. He was a man. And he had fears like you and I have fears. He even struggled with depression. You know, some people struggle. Well, we all struggle with some aspects of mental health. So did Elijah. He was human. He was just like us. And yet it says that he prayed fervently. Man, that's not like a, Lord, if you don't mind. It was like, God, you got to bring the rain. You said you'd bring the rain. Bring the rain. He's down on his knees. He's got his head between his knees. That's weird. And he's praying, God, bring the rain. Like, this is, this is some serious prayer time, right? Imagine if we had a huddle before church and all the volunteers had their heads between their knees. Like, God, you got to show up today. Be like, ah, I think I'll try another church. <laughs> That's what some be <laughs> thinking. I mean, this is, this is fervent. And here's what he says. He says, he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, what James is saying is that God stopped the rain and started the rain, but Elijah's prayer was like the faucet that turned it off, and three and a half years later, through his prayer, turned it back on. You say, How does that work? I don't know how it works. All I know is that God brings about his plan through the prayers of his people. So we should pray and not lose heart. We should pray and not quit. We should pray and pray fervently. We should pray and pray always. We should pray and watch and watch and pray because prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Um, about 21 years ago, my wife and I moved into an old farmhouse and there was an elderly woman who owned the property living in the back apartment. And we'd go and sit down and talk to her. She was a great woman of faith. And she would tell us about how she was praying for her nephew Her nephew to come to faith. Her nephew had wanted nothing to do with church, nothing to do with God, and she would pray for him, and she would ask us to pray for him. And for years we watched him pray, we watched her pray for him, and no results for years and years and years. Uh, last month she passed away, and Jess and I went to the funeral, um, to honor her. And while we were at the funeral, guess who was officiating the service? Her nephew and her niece. Prayer is powerful. Sometimes because we don't see the results in a week or six months or a year, we forget. In fact, I would honestly say that most of us, if not all of us, are in this room. Here's what I think. Sometimes I think, well, I'm here because I was smart and I believed in Jesus and I read the Bible and I got it and and I trusted God and I'm humble. No, we're not here because we're amazing. We're probably here because God called us, had a plan for us, and then somebody got on their knees, maybe even put their head between their knees and prayed for you and prayed for me prayer is powerful and when we pray we partner with god through prayer his plans come about because his people are on their knees you hear what i'm saying today i love what uh, augustine of hippo early church father said he said pray as if it all depends on god work as if it all depends on you this is We need to pray, and I mean seriously pray, that God would move, and then we get up and we work and we use our hands and we use our voices and we do what we can do on our part. As we continue in the story, verse 43, Elijah says to his servant, I just did the super prayer thing. Like I had my head between my knees. I prayed, God's going to answer, go look. And he says about, go look toward the sea. And he went out and looked, and I love this. It said, there is nothing. This is so encouraging to me. That even the great Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, prayed and nothing happened right away. It's like, oh, there's hope. There's hope for me. And, And his servant goes and comes back. He's like, I'm sorry. I looked real hard. Nothing. And Elijah says, look again. And he continues to pray. And his servant goes a second time and comes back and he says, there's nothing. He says... Look again. And he continues to pray. And the servant goes and looks and comes back. And a fourth time, he says, look again. And the servant goes and he looks in the, the sky to the, over the sea and there's nothing. And he comes back. And, you know, at this point, I would give up. This time, I'd be tempted to be like, you know what? I should try something else. Maybe we'll get an altar, do a sacrifice. Maybe we should just, I don't know. Maybe God's, you know, he doesn't give up. He continues to pray. He says, look again a fifth time, a sixth time. And then it says this, he said, go again seven times. On the seventh time, um, he's going to send the servant and the servant's going to see something. But I wonder sometimes how many times we pray and ask God to do something and then we give up before he sends the result. You ever done that? I have. It's like, God, I'm praying for this thing. It's like, I guess it's not happening. You kind of move on. Jesus told this incredible uh, parable about A widow who kept coming to an unrighteous judge and she's like give me give me justice and the judge is like "Ah, i don't have time for you get lost get lost get lost but she just keeps coming 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 and eventually he's like you're bugging me i'll give you justice and he told that story he said so that we would pray and not lose heart he was reminding us that we need to continue to pray and continue to watch and expect god to move even when we don't see the results coming and so on the seventh time here's what it says in verse 44 Seventh time, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. On the seventh time, he finally saw something. He finally saw something. You know, um, I was thinking about how um, in Jesus, at the end of Jesus' ministry, his disciples come to him one day and they're like, Hey, Jesus, how do we know when the end is going to come? Maybe some of you are wondering, like, all these things that are going on in the world. Is this a sign of the end times? <laughs> Probably. And Jesus gives them a whole bunch of signs, and things they could look for in the world stage and, and in the stars and all kinds of things that we could look at to say, oh, I think this is the season. But one of the things that really captures my attention is he turns to them at one point in Mark 13, 33, and he says this, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. He says, look, there's going to be all kinds of things going on in the world and you can watch for them, you can watch the news, you can but here's what I want you to not forget to do. Watch and pray. Now, if you pray, but you don't watch, it means you're not expecting God to do anything. So when you pray, you gotta watch. And then when you watch, you go back to praying. And then you go back to watching. And you go back to praying. In fact, Jesus says, When I return, will anybody be watching and waiting for me? Will anybody be expecting me to come back? Or will we be all running around looking for conspiracy theories? Will we all be running around trying to figure out what global position is doing and what this guy's doing that? Or are we watching for God to reveal himself through his son? Watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. Again, he looks, he sees a little cloud like a man's hand. That's not much. Like when you're looking at a horizon and you see a little tiny cloud, that's not much. What you have to understand is, whenever God does something, he always starts small. God wants to create an oak tree, you put the little tiny seed in the ground. And over time it becomes this great thing. Throughout the scripture, you always see God using small, unlikely things, right? So for example... You have uh, the children of Israel for 400 years. They're in Egypt enslaved and they're like, God, save us. God, save us. God, save us. God doesn't send an army to save them. He sends an 80 year old shepherd named Moses with a stick. (laughs) I'm here to save you. It's like, thanks, God. It's like a little cloud in the distance, right? Right. How about the, the nation of Israel? They're being overrun by the Philistines. And the Philistines have this great army and this big giant. And all the Israelite soldiers are standing on this side of the valley and they're scared. They're like, what's going to happen? And in comes like a 15-year-old boy in the back bringing his brother's lunch. Skip the dishes, you know, with a slingshot. God's like, I'll use that. It's like a little cloud. So don't underestimate how God will work. He'll use little things to bring about big change. And Elijah understood this about God because when when his servant comes back and says, hey, there's this little tiny cloud like the size of a hand, he knows, hey, the answer is on its way. That's a sign. Get ready. And here's what he says. He says, go up and tell Ahab, he tells his servant to go tell the king, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. So if you don't go now, this this rain, this storm is going to overtake you. Your chariot will be stuck in the mud. Like, you get going. Verse 45, it says, and in a little while. Everybody say a little while. It's amazing sometimes for years you pray and it seems like God isn't doing anything and then all of a sudden you see something on the horizon and then it's like suddenly things begin to change. Anybody experience this? I, I know I have. It's been like years and you're just waiting, watching, and then all of a sudden it's just like everything goes into high gear. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a a great rain. I want to close with this idea that when we, when, we, when we fail to give up on prayer, how do I say that? When we continue to pray without ceasing, when we continue to seek God and trust in Him regardless of what we see, and we continue to pray and look and pray and watch and pray and look again, God, I'm praying for you to move and look again. I know for me... Um, you know, as a parent, it's easy. You, sometimes you can look into the eyes of your children. And there's darkness and emptiness. No. Are you're looking and it's like, I don't think I'm getting through. And you need to be reminded to, to get down on your knees and to pray. God, would you move? And you may not see the results right away. It might take months. It might take years. It might take decades. But you pray. And then what do you do? You watch. You look again. And you get back on your knees and you pray. I'm telling you, that's how you and I got here. That's how they're going to get here. If you have a business and you're not sure what to do, get down on your knees and pray over that business. When you pray over that business, you get up and you look. And you say, God, what are you going to do here? And then you get back on your knees and you pray. And then you look again. And you pray. And you look again. And I promise you, things will begin to change. It will start small. God will begin to do something the salvation of the people of Israel came through one man's prayers. It started like a little cloud and became this huge storm that engulfed the nation and saved them. This, by the way, is how God works. 2,000 years ago, there was actually a baby born. It's kind of scandalous. The mom got pregnant before they were married. People probably heard about that. And then this baby's born. It's raised by a carpenter in a no-name place called Nazareth. He had no wealth. He had no. There was nothing that you would say, this this boy, this boy, Man, Jesus is significant and yet He becomes the salvation of the world and begins a kingdom that will have no end, that will engulf human history and change the course of everything. It begins small, but it begins with faith. And so I want to encourage you today, no matter what it is that you are seeing with your eyes around you, I want to encourage you to look again. I want to encourage you to see with the eyes of faith. When it looks like there is no hope, look again. We say it together, when it looks like there is no hope, Look again, and the only reason why we would keep looking even when it seems like there 's no hope is because we trust in God. sometimes we get caught up in like God, what are you going to like what are you going to fix? what are you going to do? But our trust is actually in the one who gives the blessing, not the blessing. when it looks like there 's no hope, look again, can we pray together, Father um, this morning we we consider this story of Elijah and his prayer, we 're reminded that There's so much power in prayer. We're reminded that through prayer prayer, we partner with you. And Lord, I know for me there have been times over these past six months where I have been so discouraged that I've wanted to stop praying and stop believing and stop looking. Lord, you encourage us to continue to look again, to continue to trust in you in spite of what we see. We walk by faith and not by sight. I pray, Father, if there's anyone in this room, anyone watching online today, that has never put their faith and trust in you, that they would do so today, that they maybe they've written off Jesus, some historical character, insignificant, that they would look again. And that they would understand that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only hope that we have in this life and in eternity. So help us to trust in you, to put our faith in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.